from Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59, we'll read verses 1 through 20. This is in connection with Lord's Day 6, which deals with the question of what kind of mediator and deliverer we are to seek. So Isaiah 59, beginning in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, and your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies. And from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a Redeemer will come to Zion 
to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. So far, the word of our God. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing from Psalm 130, stanza 3. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism as a summary of Christian doctrine. We find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 6, that's on page 522 of your books of praise. I want to begin by reading the last question of Lord's Day 5 to give us our, the context for this Lord's Day. So, beginning in question answer 15, what kind of mediator and deliverer must we seek? One who is a true and righteous man, and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is at the same time true God. Why must he be a true and righteous man? He must be a true man because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should pay for sin. He must be a righteous man because one who himself is a sinner cannot pay for others. Why must he be at the same time true God? He must be true God so that by the power of his divine nature he might bear in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for us and restore to us righteousness and life. But who is that mediator who at the same time is true God and a true and righteous man? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. From where do you know this? From the Holy Gospel, which God Himself first revealed in paradise, later He had it proclaimed by the patriarchs and prophets, and foreshadowed by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. Finally, He had it fulfilled through His only Son. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord, Jesus Christ, in the last several weeks, uh, we've been opening our Bibles in the afternoon service and seeking to listen to God's Word so that we may honestly face the reality of our sin and the lostness of our condition apart from Christ. That's been our goal. Now, that's a lot to say in one sentence, uh, so I'll say it again and we'll unpack it. We've been opening the Word of God, that is, believing the Word of God to be inspired truthful, abidingly relevant also in our day. We're seeking to listen to it, believing uh, that there are things that God would speak to us that we need to hear. And specifically, we're wanting to hear God speak the truth concerning our sin, uh, the reality of our condition apart from Christ, and, and perhaps most importantly, the hope for sinners, the hope to which God calls us. Uh, In other words, we want to understand and we want to grow in our understanding uh, of both the seriousness of our sin and the human predicament before God, uh, as well as the way of redemption and salvation given to us by God. These are things we want to grow in our understanding of. And that's why we began uh, several weeks ago looking at the reality of our sin. Uh, We've worked through several lies. Uh, The lie that our sin is not so serious which we saw is, is certainly not true according to the Word of God. Uh, the other lie that perhaps God is just merciful and will forgive it without uh, 
forcing us to give account for it, which we saw, no, that's not what God tells us in His Word. And, and every time again, we are, we are trying to see this is what God speaks to us about our sin. This is our predicament so that we would tar- turn and run to God to also find the way out of that predicament. We're, we're recognizing our sin is a much bigger problem than we are used to thinking. It's no mere defect or imperfection. It is a very serious condition. Uh, so our goal is then to stand honestly openly exposed, as it were, before the Word of God, uh, to disabuse ourselves of of the lies that we we tell ourselves, uh, to assuage our conscience, to put these things from our minds, to take those lies away and and put them uh, before God and recognize these are are lies. They they cannot stand before God. Uh, And so we want to hear the Word of God also now. Uh, We don't want to wait until we stand before the throne of God to hear Him for the first time. We want to hear Him now as He calls out our sin so that we may deal with our sin now. Uh, Then last week, we also spent some time dealing with some of the false ways of salvation that human religion presents to us. Uh, And these are all built on the lies that we've had to deal with. Uh, So there's the way of works righteousness, which we spent most of our time on last week, uh, which believes that if we just start doing good things then the good things will make up for whatever bad things we've done. And we saw that uh, that is built on, on two fundamental lies. One, that our bad things are really not that significant, so it's, it's possible for us to do enough good to cover them. And number two, uh, that God's justice would even work that way, that if we do a good thing, it will somehow make up for, for what was done wrong. And we saw that God's justice is not a zero-sum game. It doesn't work that way where you do one good thing and it makes up for one bad thing. No, we may spend our whole life doing good and only a few wrongs, and we still must give account for those wrongs. Uh, Not that that's realistic anyway, since God's Word shows we do far more evil than we ever do good. Uh, So again, we're standing before the Word of God, letting Him speak in the hope that He, who calls out our sin, would also show us His mercy. We read this afternoon from Isaiah 59, and it's, a hard, it's hard to find a passage that, that more strongly underscores the fact uh, that we cannot and would not ever save ourselves. Uh, the, the one other passage I thought about doing, if I hadn't chosen it last week, was Psalm 130, uh, which we did read through last week. And it underscores the same truth. We are in no position to save ourselves. Salvation, if it comes at all, will come from God. And so let's take a, a moment to hear God speaking in, in Isaiah 59. Uh, this is the Word of God, of course, to, to God's people Israel in the Old, Old Testament Uh, but certainly is equally true of all people everywhere. It's a word that extends out to the entire human race. Uh, So verse 2 declares the the same point we've worked through uh, just about every week, uh, where he says, Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear That's what our sinful condition does. It it separates us from God. It's a very serious predicament. Uh, Our sins matter, and they matter to such a degree uh, that he says he he, he turns his face 
uh, from those who live in unrepentant sin. He says, your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. He does not listen to the prayers of an unrepentant uh, people, even if they're a very religious, unrepentant people. Uh, verse three, verses 3-8 through eight then uh, lay out our sins in, in some detail, uh, describing the specific sins of Israel in that time, but also sins that are characteristic of all humanity in, in all time. Uh, and, and it's important to recognize as we read those verses, to recognize that God is calling out our sin on His terms, not on our terms. Uh, so when He says, for example, in verse 3, "...your hands are covered in blood." He's not only referring to actual murderers, though though there certainly were many in that day in in positions of power in Israel, but he's not just calling out those who have actually shed human blood, but all those who participate in a murderous culture. Uh, Even where actual murder does not take place, uh, there may well yet be disregard for human life, uh, a willingness to take advantage of others, uh, to, to defraud others, to gossip about others, to harbor hatred towards others. And all of these things are, are things that culminate, given the right time, the right opportunity, that culminate in the act of murder. Uh, so this is a word, your hands are covered in blood, a word addressed to the whole people of God, not just those who have actually shed blood. And the same may be said for the other verses there. They're speaking to God's people as a whole. Not just those who do a specific sin, but those who participate in it in, in some way, indirect or, or direct. And, and if we doubt that, if we doubt that it's meant for all of us, uh, we might take note that Paul in Romans 3 uh, specifically applies these verses to the human condition, saying this is about all of us. It's not just an, someone else's problem. This is our problem here in in Isaiah 59. It's the outworking of the human heart. Not just the Israelite heart. The human heart. Uh, And and the godly response to this accusation uh, is written down in verses 9-15, through uh, which is not a denial of what God says, but rather an acknowledgement of the truthfulness of what God says. So God speaks in verses 3 through 8. God's people, uh, God's faithful people, respond in verses 9 through 15. Uh, verse 9 Therefore, justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold, darkness for brightness, but we walk in gloom. It's an acknowledgement of God is right as He calls out our condition. And this is the, the honest admission of a man or a woman who's, who's truly searched his heart in the light of God's Word and, and recognized that what God speaks is true. It speaks truthfully about me, not just about others. Uh, true justice, uh, that is putting what is true and what is right uh, above what is convenient and what is self-serving. True justice, he says, is far from us. It's, it's alien to the human condition. We just don't do that. Putting what is right before what is convenient. Uh, it's far from us. Righteousness does not overtake us. In other words, it's not catching up to us as the years go by and we might hope, you know, we just keep this going, keep up our religion, and eventually we're going to become a righteous people. So it just doesn't, it doesn't catch up to us. Uh, righteousness is not overtaking us. 
Uh, the righteousness that God calls us to is just not something we're achieving on our own strength here. Uh, he says we hope for light, and behold, we get darkness. And I think the clearest, if you want the clearest demonstration of this, it's, it's the enlightenment of, of the last century. Uh, we hope for light. Uh, the belief at the beginning of the 19th century was that we as a human race, and even more in the 20th century, that we as a human race had finally entered out of the, out of the dark ages and into a new era of, of light through, through reason and science and inquiry. And this was a dawning of a new age. And instead we got the bloodiest and darkest century that the human race has ever known. Uh, and so here we have a believer hearing the Word of God and recognizing that's true. We've, we've been hoping for these things, and they're not happening. Uh, not by our religion, not by our strength, are, are we becoming the people God calls us to be. We just don't have it within us. Uh, verse 11, we growl like bears, we moan and moan like doves, we hope for justice, but there is none for salvation, but it, it's far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. And we know our iniquities. Uh, Verse verse 14, to skip a few. uh, He says, Justice has turned back and righteousness stands far away. Truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Uh, You try to get the truth into into our public squares, into our our civil government, into our way of life, and it just stumbles. It just doesn't happen. Uh, And and this is, again, the honest reflection of our human condition. We are not capable, uh, by our strength, of achieving justice and righteousness. And that's the fundamental uh, message of this chapter. Uh, If you leave the human race up to itself to fix its problem, it only gets worse. We cannot fix it. Uh, Our condition is too fallen, too desperate, too evil for us ever to save ourselves. Well, verse 15 is, is the, the turning point then in, in this chapter, uh, where now the Lord looks down. After that confession's been made, the Lord looks down from heaven, and, and it says, the Lord saw it, and it displeased him. Literally, it, it was evil in his eyes, it says in the Hebrew, that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no one to intercede. So God looks down on the human race and sees the justice and, or the injustice and the, the futile efforts at becoming the people we're supposed to be. Uh, and He sees there's no one on earth. If I were to look for a man to save this human race, I wouldn't find one. There isn't one to be found. And so our catechism also asks the question, what kind of mediator, what kind of deliverer should we be looking for? We know He must be a true man. We saw some of that last week as well. He needs to be one of us. God's not going to punish another creature for our sin. He's not going to punish an animal. He's not going to punish Himself apart from being one of us. God's not punishing anyone else for our sin. The one who sinned must bear the judgment for his sin. But what God shows us in this text is if that's our only standard, and if God were then to to look at the human race and say, I need to find someone who can be the bearer of the sin of this people and die for this people, I can't find one. Because there's not one righteous man among them 
who could carry that task. If God were to search out our ranks, looking for such a person, one would never be found. Uh, There's just not a man among us, as as Psalm 130 also says, if the Lord should count our iniquities, who, who could stand? There's not one man among us who can stand before God, plead our case before God, and act as our mediator because he himself, that man himself, is sinful. And that's what we want to take to heart then this afternoon. Salvation, if it comes to us at all, will only ever come to us from God. It's a very simple message, uh, but a a very... uh, Biblical message from the very beginning of Scripture to the end. This is repeated over and over. If God will not save us, we are lost. If it's up to us to save us, there is no hope at all. Now, there are many reasons why we're convinced that Jesus is God. And we'll get to that in a few Lord's Days when we talk about the Trinity and the divinity of Christ. uh, That that we believe that Jesus is fully God. But perhaps this is even the most important reason that there's not a man among us who could ever save us. If if Jesus were not God, if He were only a man, He could not be the one to save us. As the Catechism points out, no mere creature can sustain God's wrath against sin. And furthermore, from the beginning to the end of Scripture, the refrain is repeated over and over, salvation belongs to God. Salvation only ever can come from God. And that's what we see, especially in in verse 16. Uh, He says, God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then His own arm brought Him salvation and His righteousness upheld Him. Though God owes us nothing, God owes us nothing, yet for God's own sake, for His commitment to His own promises, uh, because we were utterly unable to save ourselves, God Himself reached down with His arm, as it were, to intercede and save us. And that's the Gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? That the Son of God, God Himself, uh, in in whom, to use the language of uh, Colossians that we've seen, in whom the fullness of deity dwells, uh, God Himself came into our world to save lost, helpless sinners such as us. Uh, Because we were lost, because we couldn't save ourselves, Jesus Christ entered our world, became one of us, lived the life, the righteous life, that every one of us failed to live as much as we may have wanted to live it. And then He went to the cross to satisfy the justice of God, to bear the sins of God's people, of us. Uh, and and, and to then through that, to pay the price for our sin, to reestablish the justice of God and reestablish relationship between us and God. That is the gracious, merciful work and initiative of God for people who could not save themselves. Uh, And that is the one and only way, if we come to a conclusion in our series of the way of salvation, that is the one and only way by which we will be saved. We won't be saved by minimizing our sin. We won't be saved by downplaying the justice 
of God. We won't be saved by pretending with the religions of the world that, that we can manage this. We can do this by our own strength and outweigh our evil works with our good ones and, and, and do this on our own terms by our own definition and God's going to accept it. We will not be saved by those means. But we will be saved if we turn to God as helpless, hopeless sinners and throw ourselves upon His mercy and there discover that He has opened a way for us in Jesus Christ uh, to live the sinless life that we needed to live, to die the atoning death, to pay for our sins, and to rise again to give us new hope and a way into eternal life. Uh, and, And so through God's own perfect work, on the basis of what God Himself has done for us, He now also welcomes us into eternal life. As those who trust Him, who believe in Him, who follow Him, He he welcomes us into eternal life. Not because we're such good Christians, but because Christ is such a good Savior. Brothers and sisters and any guests also who who may be among us, uh, if you're looking for life and peace with God in any other place than the death and resurrection of Christ, you're looking in the wrong place place. If you're holding on to hope, even even in the darkest recesses of your heart, holding on to hope that you still earned your way or you still have a pretty good track record that may may play some part in your salvation, uh, listen to the Word of God. Recognize that is a vain hope you hold on to and even an offensive hope that you hold on to. If salvation will come at all, it will come from God. That's the conclusion of Psalm 130 as well, isn't it? Uh, we sang it a moment ago. Uh, it's the cry of a sinner, right? Looking up to God, saying, Out of the depths, where do I cry? I cry to you, O God. Uh, o Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Because if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? There's that confession, right? Hearing the word of God saying, God, you're right. If you marked my iniquities, I could not stand before you. But then he says, with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You see the, the, the way the psalm plays out. First, from the depths I cry. What depths? The depths I brought myself into. And where do I cry? I cry to the living God as the only one who can save. The only one who can redeem. Now the psalmist at that time, even when he wrote that psalm, he didn't know how God was going to do that. He didn't know how God was going to redeem Israel, uh, what exactly God would have to do to make that happen. But he did recognize that if redemption is going to come, it's not going to come from me. And it's not going to come from my people. It's going to come from God. The only hope for sinners is the intervention and deliverance of God. 
In a few weeks, we're going to spend some time working on the person and work of Jesus Christ on, on those doctrines. And, and the two tenets that, that we want to underscore already now most heavily, because Scripture underscores them, is that, number one, Jesus Christ is truly man. If He is not man, He cannot be our Savior. He cannot stand in our place. And number two, that He is fully, undeniably God. Because if He's not God... He cannot bring us salvation because salvation comes from God alone. Uh, so the, de- the, the debate over the divinity of, of Christ, a debate that separates us from, from Mormons, from Jehovah's Witnesses, and from other uh, pseudo-Christian groups, uh, the debate over the, the divinity of Jesus Christ is more than just a theological debate. At its heart, it's a debate about whether we can save ourselves. Can mankind save themselves? And how we answer that question has eternal implications. And Scripture, Scripture is abundantly clear on that question. You can debate about the divinity of Christ and what Scripture specifically says. You can have your own translation that that undermines what Scripture says about the divinity of Christ. But you cannot get away from the fact that Scripture says salvation belongs to God alone. And it's not going to come from us. And that, that, that is a debate not just about how we will save ourselves or how we will be saved, but also who should receive the glory for our salvation. Uh, can we pat ourselves on the back for being fairly good Christians and so attaining to the righteousness of God? Scripture says no. Uh, rather, uh, we should fall on our knees and give God the glory that He is due for doing what He alone could do. You think of the multitude of redeemed people in Revelation 7, verse 10. What's their song that they sing? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Again, in Revelation 19, uh, they sing, uh, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Brothers and sisters, salvation belongs to our God, but He gives it freely to you and me. Hear His voice then. Forsake whatever lies uh, you may be pursuing instead. Forsake every other thought, every other vain hope, every other argument, and come to know God in Jesus Christ in all His righteousness, in all His holiness, and in all the depths of His mercy and love. Amen. Let's respond by singing from hymn 53.